Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, I'm Adam Smith, and I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast recording for the Dementia Researcher website. Um, today, I'm in the north of England at the University of Manchester to talk with a team who, over the last five years, have been working collaboratively with people living with dementia and family carers on a study focusing on neighbourhoods and dementia. So before we get going, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about our website for those who listen to the podcast but might not yet have had found time to visit the website. Uh, Our website's aimed at early career dementia researchers. However, I think there should be something there for for people working in other fields and at later career stages. Um, We have new content every day um, from blogs discussing people's research, career articles, um, and then we also list out uh, events and funding opportunities that are coming forward. So so please do uh, visit the website, which is dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. Register today, and then every Friday you'll get a short weekly news roundup Um, which you can then see if there's anything of interest that we've published in the week before and then visit and take a look. Okay, so uh, back to today's podcast. Uh, Thank you for bearing with me. Um, And I'd like to say hello to um, Maria Walsh, uh, who's the co-researcher and study advisor, Dr. Sarah Campbell, who is a research associate here at the University of Manchester University. No, is it my University of Manchester or Manchester University? University I think it is University of Manchester. I've written that down wrong. And we've had that before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Professor Andrew Clark, who's at the University of Salford. That is correct. And you've had, so you've had a bit of a trip to get over to here or are you normally based here anyway? Um, no, it's only a couple of miles away, okay. so it's a straightforward trip. So do you cycle? Do you cycle, scooter? Are you on the bus? I caught the bus today. On a bus? Fantastic. Do you know I can't remember the last time we got a bus. I got an electric scooter for whizzing around London, and so that's my new form of transport, which is fine in London, but the minute you get it out of your boot anywhere else in the country, everybody looks at you like, because <laughs> the rest of the country hasn't caught up with electric scooters yet, I think. Okay, so um, let's get going with some introductions. Um, introductions? Introductions. So perhaps um, maybe if I can come to, to you first, Sarah, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, yeah, um, my name's Sarah Campbell, and as you say, I'm a researcher at the University of Manchester, and I've been the researcher on the, this project, the Neighbourhoods, Our People, Our Places study, for the last five years, which is part of the ESRC NIHR Neighbourhoods and Dementia project. Fantastic. So is that back to when the there was that big themed dementia call? Oh, God. Well, five years ago now then. Hmm. Is it as long as that? Yeah. And so this was one of those, there were 10 big studies that were funded, weren't they, which were huge news at the time. And this, hmm. and I remember, the, was the Mark study one of those as well? And that Jill Livingston study down, I think there were quite a few funded around that same time. Yes, that's right. Well, and Professor John Keady, who is the chief in, um, investigator, um, um, is the head of this project yeah so we, we're not going to be talking about the whole study no. today particularly no. are we because there's there's obviously right. with that much money over five years i imagine there's all kinds of things gone on um but we're going to zero in on a particular part, part yeah. of that research which... yeah so there were eight programs eight work packages within the neighborhoods and dementia program um 
Neighbourhoods and Dementia Programme. And the Neighbourhoods Our People Our Places study is work package four. So one of the work packages within that, and that's what I've been working on and we're going to talk about. jumping in here to your first yeah. question yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Maria, maybe if you'd like to introduce yourself as well. Yes, I'm Maria Walsh. I'm living with Alzheimer's and I'm also part of um, the study for the Neighbourhood and Dementia I've uh, been with this group for five years now. Fantastic. And you live here in Manchester I as well? I live in Manchester, yeah. Brilliant. And uh, Andrew? Uh, so my name's Andrew Clark. I'm a sociologist, uh, though a geographer by training. I work at the University of Salford. Uh, and I've been the co-lead for the work that we're about to talk about this package so how wait a second before we go any further how do you go from geography to to this current um well as that's a left turn at the traffic a, lights right yeah so as all good geographers will tell you we're interested in space and place and this kind of question of the uh the why of where we used to get taught uh, so I've always been interested in where people live I've been interested in the neighborhoods and the places where people form attachments, I'm interested in where people used to live, where they want to live in the future. So it's caught up in that human geography way of looking at the world. And it's since then I've moved into thinking about some of the more sociologically interesting things about places and neighbourhoods and communities. That, that I, I find that really fascinating. And actually, I talked about this on our qualitative podcast I'm going to say a few weeks ago, but by the time this gets published, it might have been a few months ago, um, about the the idea of bringing people together from different fields. And I don't think it's until you start to introduce those kind of slightly different collaborations that you realise that how much how much support and expertise you can bring to a topic by looking outside of your own your own initial immediate field of of uh, expertise so fantastic that's really interesting thank you very much uh, everybody for introducing yourselves um sarah i i cut you off slightly before because you at my fault entirely and started to tell me anyway about the city so maybe could you start by telling us about the program and this particular part yeah well, thank you yeah sorry I, I jumped ahead didn't i but um I, yeah the work package that we've been um working within Um, has been interested in the kind of everyday experiences of people living with dementia in their neighbourhoods. And we've been interested in how neighbourhoods might support and enable people to live their lives as well as possible or what might be the challenges for them in their neighbourhoods. So we've talked, uh, so the project's taken place over three field sites. Manchester was one of them, Greater Manchester, which is where we've all worked. But we also have colleagues that were in the Fourth Valley in Scotland at the University of Stirling who led the um, work package and also colleagues in Ostergotland in Sweden um, who also were working with us um, exploring neighbourhoods with people in Sweden. Well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, what do you think, is there a definition or a difference between neighbourhoods and communities? Because I, I, you hear the word communities used quite a lot around around um, uh, dementia care and particularly in care homes in creating communities which is something that seems to have fallen by the wayside now with the way that streets and things are designed now but what's the difference between neighborhoods and communities do i need to point that one to andrew so i'll answer that one um so i there is clear there's a lot of overlap and when we're thinking everyday terms i think people use neighborhood and community interchangeably 
I think there is a difference. I think there's some important differences. When we think about communities, I think we're interested in communities of interest or activities or a way of living or a collection of interests or political positions that we have in common with other people. So there's commonality in community, which can lead to belonging and inclusion and at the same time exclusion and perhaps marginalisation of others. Neighbourhood, on the other hand, I think, is a much more spatially defined thing. It's a location where we usually live and work. Uh, And while you can have communities of place, so a sense of commonality and belonging to the place where you might live or or work, uh, not all neighbourhoods give rise to communities, just like not all communities are place-based. Yeah, I I get that now. Having asked that question, I can kind of immediately see the answer. Because you get communities, could be, you know, just something that collects, brings together a group of people rather than the physical location where they're they're based. So so when we talk about neighbourhoods then, so this is specifically thinking about about that kind of putting that special awareness around. Yes, so the... Our particular part of the work was all about trying to understand how that immediate location uh, can support people, how people form attachments or belong to those places, and also some of the challenges that living in particular places might uh, might create for people. Uh, I think it's fair to say one of the things we've found from this is that the way in which we might have conventionally understood what a neighbourhood is as for example a place where you can walk around within a relatively short space of time are not really the sorts of neighbourhoods that the people we've been talking to are experiencing. So the neighbourhoods that we have learnt about, that we've heard about from people like Maria are much more networked, much more stretched across much broader um, spatial scales than just the immediate location. So people are not just, when when people think about their neighbourhood, they're not just thinking about the people who live next door or on their street, but they're thinking much more about where they go to um, to engage in the ordinariness, the everydayness of, of their life. So, yeah, so the, the people and the, the, the place. So... My next question talks about graphic comics, but honestly, that feels like a bit of a leap to go from where we're at now in this conversation to graphic comics. So how do we get from from neighborhoods and places to graphic comics? I, I don't know. I'm looking at who wants to take that question between uh, Andrew and Sarah, maybe, or... Yeah, shall I start? Yeah, go And then on. everyone can kind <laughs> of add in. But um, I suppose part of the project's the emphasis in the project was about um, being collaborative with people living with dementia. So right from the outset, um, part one of the work programs, work packages within the whole program was about user involvement. And um, there was a model that was created by Caroline Swarbrick called the Coined Model, which was all about different ways in which we might collaborate and work alongside people living with dementia um, throughout the whole of the the programme. So from initially thinking about the ways we might um, think about our research questions to the way that we would um, create our methods and how we would carry out recruitment and who we would go. And so Maria has been involved from a very early stage in thinking about the, the research and coming out with us and piloting the methods so we've worked alongside people all the way through these different stages and so so the the leap to graphic comics really comes from 
maintaining um, involvement with people. Once we'd had the findings and we've collected all of our data and analysed it, we then were still working alongside people to say, well, what can we do? What can we do with this data? What can we do with the stories that you've been telling us? I see. So, so the graphic comments came in as a, as a mechanism for dissemin. Is, a, is this was a mechanism for disseminating your research? Right. So, what was the what was the research question then that that started off? What was the research question? Why do neighbourhoods matter to people living with dementia? Yeah, and how can how do neighbourhood how do people living with dementia experience their neighbourhoods? How can neighbourhoods be more supportive of people to live as well as possible, um, sort of independently or within the in the community? I see, and so then the the graphic the graphic comics or zines as we're going <laughs> to refer to them in the podcast were a were a way of kind of. So, well, well, actually, why don't we go to that? How do, how do you go about working together to produce these graphic comments, co- comments, graphic comics to disseminate that? Okay. Um, so, we've been we've we've worked hard to include people um, throughout the research process, as Sarah was saying, from design through data collection. And I sometimes think as as researchers, we. We miss out at the dissemination stage this idea of participation and co-production and involving people to retell some of the stories or retell the findings from the research. So we were really keen that that the findings that we'd come up with weren't mine and Sarah's findings, but these were collective stories that we'd all produced together. So we worked together with a small group of participants and that included Maria and some others to think about how we could tell these stories to other people and the first thing I'm um, I'm speaking for you now Maria but one of the yeah. first things the group said was well whatever you do don't produce any more leaflets yeah. because there are lots of leaflets that serve a good purpose but um, there are many leaflets that people living with dementia can pick up and they said is there nothing else we could do to tell the stories in ways that were perhaps more fun or more interesting but still get some of the key messages from the research across. Um, and it was actually the group itself that came up with this idea of producing what at the time we called sort of comics or, or graphic illustrations that tell different snippets of, of the research in a visual form. Uh, the group were really excited to develop this idea, so we, Sarah and I found an illustrator who specialised in something called zines, which are, um, which are technically a low-budget uh, visual media that are produced fairly informally uh, and to quite a low print run. So there's a long history of zine making among certain communities, fanzines is the original term is where the term comes from but this illustrator specialized in this particular mode of visual expression or visual representation and he came along and met the group and then Maria and other people told worked with the illustrator to um, turn some of these stories into graphic form so so what do you make of all this Maria I mean you you have obviously been involved for quite a, a long time not just in this graphic novel way of sharing some of the outcomes but from from the start I mean I suppose before we come to talk specifically about this study do you uh, do you feel like this has been beneficial from having your involvement yeah I do I think um, the um, 
the involvement we've had is uh, it's like true to um true to, to, to yourself yeah to everyday way of uh, to an everyday way of living and and so was it i mean how have they how have you been involved have they been asking you questions about how you live in the community and how you move around have they have they been following you and adding trackers yes. to you or no they didn't <laughs> add the trackers but they have the sarah did come with me on um, a walk around the area where i live and we'd had a few discussions about what was important to me and she'd met some of my neighbors and people in the shops where i live and um, it's all contributed to the making of the zine. Of the zine. So, so, yeah. so, how many of these zines are there then? So we have produced a series of three. Each one tells a different story um, through the form of a, a kind of a vignette character who is comprises of a whole range of different stories that mm. people told us. So the idea is, hopefully, that lots of our participants will recognise some aspect of their life in the zine. So each one tells a kind of day in the life of someone. So who who would be the audience for it? Hmm. Who who are they aimed at? Um, well, we've... Um, do you mean, like, in parts of putting them in doctor's surgeries, um, libraries... Um, anywhere where people don't, haven't got the um, the literature to explain about what it's like to live I with see. dementia. So, so these this is uh, another one of a kind of a, a mechanism, Me if you like, of of sharing what uh, what life is like for people yeah. living with dementia with those with those who aren't necessarily as close it's clear, to this. Yeah. And I think a zine idea is really fascinating because, of course, it can, it works on several levels, doesn't it? Because, of course, you can see how this might be more interesting to kind of young people um, as well, but also as well people who maybe, as you said, don't want to sit there and read a big, hmm. long leaflet or, a, or or go through in that way. I think this can can tackle yeah. and explain. They're easy to read. They like the books that children start off with in school where they're just pictures and you can put your own you tell the story as you see it so there's not many words or um, so so you had a did you have an opportunity then marie to work with the with the what am i going to call them the illustrator yeah we did there was about about six of us i think wasn't there hmm. and he did the illustrations we looked through them and we um where it was needed we tweaked here and there and we said well that shouldn't be here and so it was our outcome at the end that he changed all the um, well not everything but some of his um, ideas and put ours in. And do they all have a theme that runs through them? Is there some kind of underlying lesson to learn here, some takeaway from these that you're wanting? Uh, is this something about society or community <coughs> or the, the neighbourhood that you're wanting to change? Yeah, we well, we had five key messages from the research, so um, that that had come out from the res from all of the data that we had generated from all of our participants, and those key messages were about the importance of the opportunity to stay connected to neighbourhood, people, and place. Um, 
the main, maintaining routines and habits and how that helped facilitate being able to stay connected and being recognised and having a sort of sense of belonging in your community. Um, lots of people told us about acts of kindness that were carried out by neighbours or by people in local businesses that supported them to be able to live as independently as possible like people taking their bins out for them um, but also people living with dementia themselves told us about the kinds of things that they did in so sort of giving back for things that they did to support their neighborhoods as well um, and also we talk, we learned that some people who don't go out as often who are staying in more um, how they still maintained connection to neighborhood or or what would be important in order to make that happen so those messages sort of led the way that we generated stories around them so we would come up with in the discussions in the meetings we would talk wouldn't we about how what what kind of story could we tell that replicated those messages that had come out from the the research and so as the the free zines were created the group became even more confident in saying what kind of stories they wanted Mm -hmm. you know it, it was the first one I think was harder and it took much longer and it in terms of kind of generating a storyline whereas I think by the second and third people were saying well actually we think it's important that we tell this story we haven't seen this so the third zine was about a couple and we had we hadn't they wanted people wanted to express particular things that had come through their experiences and that were in our data so as well as having real stories in this, are they real people? Are, are, are you are you represented in one of these <laughs> these these zines, Maria? Is um, can you see yourself in it? Well, I could do, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, honestly, I think this is a, a really fascinating and really interesting. It's quite unique as well. I don't think I've come across anybody mm. else who's sharing the outputs or getting those stories and messages across in this way. I mean, you quite often see people will make videos won't they or they'll record interviews with people or like you say they'll produce a guidance document or some infographic Mm. to try and explain this but I think using this this mechanism to to try and deliver that message I I should make an I should just say I don't know if anybody can hear that I think that's the rain (laughs) (laughs) it's been quite wet in Manchester this week and if you can hear a a tip pitter patter um, that's some heavy rain on the roof so um, maybe can you tell me who, whose idea was it in the first place to, to do it in this way? So we probably can't, we probably can't remember who, which individual had the idea. Um, I know it wasn't me that came up with it. So I think it was somebody within the group we'd mm. been working with who just suggested one day a comic or a more visual way of telling the story. And the group between them kind of ran with, with that idea. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that we're not the only people who are making zines. Uh, I think since we've been producing them, we found all sorts of other people who have also been producing zines as part of research work. I think I haven't yet come across anyone who has produced zines within a dementia context, but that doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist, of course. But I think what we have been doing that I haven't yet seen other people do is work in this collaborative way with people to produce them collectively. I think so far the zines I've seen are sometimes seen more as a researcher working with an illustrator um, rather than alongside participants as well. So could could we just thinking about just for a second about the just the the practical process? 
of taking what what is the practical process of going from hey we're going to come up with this idea to having a finished product and how how are people involved in in this particularly when you've got this illustrator on the side you've got people whose stories that you have here mm. you, you're wanting to share in this way and then of course you've got the researchers off to the side trying to get their message across how, how does that process work who wants to take that question well, it was um dominique dominique was the one that came up with the illustrations wasn't he i don't know whether he got his information from sarah or andrew he came up with these drawings we he came back we'd all got together and uh, we went through them and we, like I said we just tweaked and said well this shouldn't be here this shouldn't be there and together it was um, a joint effort in so, um, so that came after after there were already a set of drawings to start with so how did Domi is it Dominique? Dominique. Dominique. Yeah, Dominique is a brilliant Illustrator, he's produced the material yeah. really good. Yeah. We should give him a credit. What's his yeah, name? Dominique yeah. Brewers. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic. Illustrator. He's in Manchester. Yeah. Is um, he's based in Hebden Bridge, actually, in York. Okay. Mm. So, what did you give him in the first place okay. to make this? Yeah, I think that just to say, I think that the first zine that we made, I met with Dominique on my own first of all, and talked to him about the research project, and shared we shared with him some of the stories that we had told, so that he could get a sense of what the research was about and what the project was about. But he then came to we had meetings where Dominique would come and start. He would sketch. He in the very first instance he sketched out some ideas around. Um, the experience of being in the neighbourhood yeah. and living with dementia and um, we were able to build out of that a story but the, the second and third zine the topics that w were decided upon were decided in those collaborative meetings mm. because it, it, it became more clear I suppose as time went on what the role would be and people became more confident at saying the stories that they thought were important to be told and then we would we would tweak them we would discuss mm. what what messages we're getting across and what do we want people to find out from these zines we've also got a set of um sort of top tips that people from the group created which are again based around those findings those key messages about what was important to them to maria and to other members of the group about being able to uh, stay connected to their neighborhoods and the different ways in which they were enabled to do that. that that makes sense to me so then they came to to you maria and you you and the others had an opportunity to comment and give your yeah. feedback and then they'd refine them bring them back until yeah. you arrived at the and but then as i think it's fair to say by the time of the final zine it was much more the group maria and people were were suggesting what the final zine yeah. should be about for example um and then you were much i think you were much more in control we about were we were more confident um, as to what we wanted to put in that final. So you hadn't decided mm. at the start what the three would be. Yeah. They no. you, you kind of did the first. Mm. So just for the sake, I mean, I'm hopefully I'm going to ask you in a minute to maybe tell us where people can, where our listeners can go and find these on the internet somewhere to have a look. But can you just talk me through what this, what does this look like? Is this a, is this a booklet? Is this just a one pager? I mean, what mm. what do these look like? Describe one of these zines to me. Mm. Yeah, they like a comic, aren't they? They like mm -hmm. a comic book. Yeah. Um, so they're like an A5. They're, they're A5. 
for A4. A4. That was a decision That's by right. the group. So it's yeah. things like that, actually, that are really interesting, that the group decided what size they wanted the comics, the zines to be, yeah. because they felt that A5 was too small. They wanted something that people could get hold of, that would be really noticeable, and that was easy to open and read through. Um, the group decided that they didn't want them to be colour, yeah, inside, we decided, they're black and yeah, white aren't they, the drawings, right, yeah. the front covers have got a colour, yeah. and they were all decided, that's right. in, uh, we had debates about what mm -hmm. colour, what colour they yeah, should be, so write all those kind of details I think about the um, design and what they should look like and then they were taken, decisions were taken with the expertise of Dominique as well who understood because so we had a batch of printing done which is called risograph paper which is a special paper that zines are often printed onto um, and then they are also photocopyable so that they could have that sort of low fineness that goes with zines mm -hmm. but um, so from those kind of little de well, not little but the design decisions were made by the group and then but also the stories. So he, Dominique would come with like a storyboard, um, which we would blow up to A3 so that people could see all the pictures and decide, look at the pictures and see what they felt was happening in them. And did the story make sense? Did it need text? Text, yeah. And because you were saying that you, it can be quite difficult, can't it, to read text? Yeah. And you feel that you can see tell the stories I can, yeah i can tell stories or read stories better um like the zines are printed i can't um i can read but i can't retain the information or i find it hard to absorb what's what it's all about but these i find very easy to to read they're like the story books that you give children when they're first starting to read and i think anybody who, who would have a problem not being able to retain information would find that easy to know what was going on mm. and they're like an adult version i suppose because yeah. they're quite an adult, adult style, style aren't they yeah. i mean they're a very they're beautiful illustrations yes they are and that that's interesting so did the group because obviously thinking about the messages here clearly they were your stories maria that were yes. coming out in here and the things that you wanted to share with people although things like the decision to make it color or the text are they I mean are there other people giving some input here because if you're wanting to share those messages with the wider community who are going to help people with living with dementia it's kind of those are the people to 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 get feedback on from that mm. are they? Well we find that the, the colour does matter the background colour and the colour that it's written in oh no absolutely so we find uh, we've sort of like based it along that those lines that they are easy to read and the colour this is why they're done the way they are mm. um so would you would you do this again i mean what were the problems i mean this 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 doesn't i mean sure we're saying that this is all fantastic but were there some problems along the way as well i wouldn't use the word problem in fact i managed challenges. to say there were no problems there were perhaps some challenges mm. that we had to work with i think um maria would probably be able to articulate quite a few of the challenges from her perspective but from from where I'm coming from, I think the time is something to really consider. Mm -hmm. I think the first one in particular did take quite a while to arrange. Um, perhaps I certainly think I'd gone into this quite naively and, you know, to meet with the group and say, we'd like to turn these into 
magazines or comics or comics. something. It was uh, originally, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. then you know, and then, and then we met with an illustrator said we want to turn our findings into a comic. I don't think we'd quite realised all the stages involved. We couldn't just send a, the Dominique off and come no. back with the pictures. Um, so I think we learned quite a lot of the involvement that was required. I think we've from a, this from this idea of co-production or working together with people. I think it's important to allow people to get involved in different ways. So we were really conscious that we wanted lots of people to help us produce these, not just who could come to the meetings or be part of the group, but we also met people in their own home and we sought out their views as well. And it was about making sure people could contribute in ways they were comfortable with. Um, and that obviously doesn't necessarily mean everybody's contributing all of the time, but some people like Maria have actually contributed all the way through this yeah. and, and contributed to lots of other things. I think, I've, uh, yeah, I think you find that with PPI, with, with patient and public involvement, particularly everything, is, is just be prepared for people to dip in and dip out yeah. as as life gets in yeah. the way and, and in uh, circumstances come along. So I think, I think before we've talked about the start off probably with more people than you think you need on the basis that people will then dip in for short times although that i think in itself can be challenging because mm -hmm. then people dip in and out and you've got to bring everybody back up to speed and explain why some of the decisions that you've made have been made because that wouldn't necessarily have been how they would have done it but then they've been away and suddenly come back in and you know coming out so it's important but i think getting getting uh, co-production and people involvements right is is really quite yeah. hard but I think because I'm, I'm not going to say this in any bad way I think some people are really passionate and feel really important that it can be done in a certain way and if and if it isn't done how they like it can be quite difficult I know I, I'm quite opinionated and when things don't get <laughs> done how I'd like them I'm sure my colleagues would say it can be quite annoying when he does that yeah. and there's no mm -hmm. difference I mean I, I don't want to kind of pin patient and co-production and public involvement has been some rosy um some rose garden that it's perfect because it's not is it it's can be quite hard you you get a couple of people in there who want it done their way and if mm. it doesn't go their way because the other group disagrees it can be really challenging yeah. to satisfy everybody you didn't have that I, you, you weren't the awkward one were you marie uh, no, I wasn't <laughs> the awkward one were there awkward ones no we won't name names um, we won't but, name names but <laughs> But yeah. but it can be like that. It can be like that. People do like to like sort of like run the show. But if they're challenged over, because I may you may have had a different opinion. It it wasn't like this. They were a bit put out. But uh, yeah, um, and I suppose that's the point I'm making. I'm not you know is yeah. is that trying to kind of navigate through that, get the input that we want, and make sure that everybody comes out mm. of it feeling like their opinions were considered and that the the end product is something that they all feel That's like they've right, contributed yeah. to and happy to can be quite difficult mm. but it seems here like you've mm. done a fantastic job in in getting yeah. in we getting had fun there. making it and doing it and i feel really proud and privileged to be able to be part of of the production of that's uh, wonderful disease. Thank you. Yeah. I think because we had this wonderful output at the end of each of the, you know, each of these zines over the series, that that really helped because we we saw what we'd work towards, didn't we? And yeah. we everyone felt really delighted with them and proud of them. Yeah. I think when the first print run came, it was really exciting <laughs> and 
um, very rewarding yeah. for all of us, I think, to see that we had managed to achieve, make these beautiful things that Dominique, we have to say, you know, had done such a great job you for did. us. Um, so that helped, I think. That's good. Have you got a signed one tucked away somewhere in a, in a keepsake box? <laughs> <for it>? I have. <laughs> I've got three. <laughs> <laughs> one of each. One uh, of each. Three, yeah. yeah. Well, this is really good. Uh, and uh, just before we kind of, I think, before we uh, come to an end, because we're kind of out of time here, how are you evaluating the impact of these? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's quite hard, isn't it? Evaluate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you put these things out mm. there. I mean, all you can do is count how many mm-hmm. people went and use them and mm-hmm. we haven't done a formal evaluation i mean we've been trying to sort of gather feed we've gathered feedback about the process of making them and we're trying to write about that and talk about that um we've everybody's had opinion when we've given out the group each member of the group would take a quantity of them when they'd been printed and have been giving them out widely and we've been sort of gathering hearing what people have to say That's about right. them um, and ask, but we haven't really done a fo- more formal evaluation of them. Mm. I think it's quite tricky. I think, uh, we're, particularly in anything like this, unless you, I mean, you have to think about evaluation. So, and this is something particularly for early career researchers, I think, is think about evaluation right at the start. Because if you're wanting to do some baselining or something like that, you'd need to go out and do those surveys and do that work and those interviews right at the start. So at the end, you've got that point you can repeat the process and compare and I think over a five year programming that that's got to be hard right mm-hmm. I'm not saying of course mm-hmm. this was a very yeah. well thought through professional high profile study so evaluation would have been in there from the start but it's difficult but also I suppose with co-production we didn't know what we were going to do at the yeah, end of course, so you that don't know. makes a, a difference too in the way that you're working you don't necessarily have a plan outcome and that, that's interesting, isn't it? And, and I think actually that's quite often the challenge that people don't understand is the difference between patient and public involvement and co-production. Mm-hmm. Is co-production isn't necessarily set out from the outset that you know what you're going to do. You're open-minded that the, you work together to, to define that outcome as you go through the process of the study, whereas patient and public involvement you kind of already know what you're going to do you're just making you're just checking back that people are happy and you might amend it but it's not actually deciding that so actually well I can see a paper in that about how do you evaluate how do you properly evaluate studies that uh, are changing as you go through in this world of co-production fascinating thank you very much so what next is there still is this the end of the program are you have you got more work to do on in neighbourhoods so the program itself is coming to an end. Uh, there's always, I think, more work to be done in neighbourhoods. Um, I hope that it, we will always keep hold of these values of co-production. Um, certainly for myself, I have learned so much working with people like Maria um, about you know, what it really means to work alongside people and also to think a bit more creatively about how we tell other people's stories. Mm-hmm. I always I always say as a researcher, it's my job to collect other people's stories and then tell them to other people who can perhaps do something to make a difference. And I think through this process, I've really... It's been a real privilege to not just listen to other people's stories but actually work alongside those sto- those people to turn their stories into things, into outputs that other people can now look at and hopefully, you know, think about and change some of their own practices. 
Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. So where can you find these on the internet for somebody who might want to go and have a look? Are they as a PDF somewhere? Mm, they are PDFs. Um, people can write to me and email me. My email address will be on, will it be linked on we, this? We can certainly put it um, in the I don't know if we've got a link um, on the Neighbourhoods and Dementia website, but we probably we ought, ought to, to have. And it's this made goes me, out. <laughs> yes, it's made me realise that Okay, we so what's, the, what's the, the website for the Neighbourhoods and Dementia website? Um, neighbourhoodsanddementia.org dot org. Great. So by the time this goes out, you'll be able to to see these online. Thank you very much. I think it's time to uh, end today's podcast recording. Uh, I'd like to thank our panelists, uh, Maria, Sarah, and Andrew. I, I think the the main takeaways from he, here are that I think try to uh, I think being innovative about how you consider disseminating the outputs of your research um, is important and there you know there are different and new and interesting ways to do that co-production has clearly um, benefited this and, and it, it sounds to me like it's not just benefited it wouldn't have been possible to do this without co-production in this way mm. um, think about evaluation and how you're going to do that um, and also as well put some thought into how you manage co-production so that everybody feels like they're they're having the right amount of, of input um, and, and then enjoy the the outputs from that. Maria, will you has this inspired you to do other stuff? Are, are you going to are you going to help with some other research um, studies? I've already um, been involved for a number of years in other research. Um, at the minute, I'm doing um, we call the Day Group. It's with the Deep, and it's um, trying to um, do questionnaires for people to shorten them, make them more uh, appropriate for the dementia sufferers. So they're not as long and they're not asking six questions. Yeah, I've... I've so we're just making the one question for all. So we're simplifying them and we're in the process of um, of doing that at the moment. So Wonderful. And, I, and I, it would be remiss of me not to say that, of course, Joint Dementia Research which we've done a podcast on before, is out yeah. there for anybody listening to this who's living with dementia or carers or family members or who might want to participate in a study themselves. You might find if you register there, there'll be something for you. Okay, thank you very much. If you have anything you'd like to add on this topic, uh, please do post your comments um, below the, the link on this website or, or in the the Spotify and SoundCloud feeds. Uh, you can drop us a line also on Twitter using the hashtag ECR Dementia. Finally, please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. Thank you very much, everybody here for contributing and uh, allowing me to visit you here in Manchester. Um, please do uh, remember what I said before about visiting our website. And um, we've also started to transcribe all of our podcasts for those who uh, might have challenges hearing them. So if, if you have any colleagues out there that can't listen to our podcast, please do point them to the website where you can get a transcript of this today. Thank you very much, everybody. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm looking forward to getting uh, a look at these zines before I leave today. Thanks. Thank you. A podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.